0: Pretty much the consensus of all major film critics and all people alive is, that was the greatest movie ever made. (laughs) First Blood, John Rambo, May 27th, 1983. We played it at my bachelor party. (laughs) I I figured that it would be good preparation for marriage because John Rambo was a man, a, a, a real man, and a Christian too. Did you hear him say Jesus when he hit the tree up there? See, he was was praying, he was praying. John Rambo was an avenger of blood. And that's actually a title uh, used 11 times in the Old Testament, avenger of blood or redeemer of blood, also known as the kinsman redeemer. In ancient Israel, if someone was married, the the closest male relative was designated the avenger of blood, and that person's job was to avenge blood with blood. By nature, I think we're all pretty good avengers of blood and, and we usually avenge with interest. In other words, you insult your wife and she'll insult you back with interest. <laughs> you draw blood and she'll draw some blood with, with interest. Larry Crabb used to describe marriage as two ticks and no dog. <laughs> <laughs> Two bloodsuckers and no blood to suck. You know, church is a marriage. As the bride of Christ, we're all bound to Christ, our kinsman redeemer, and we're all bound to each other with the, with the same covenant. About six years ago, I was sitting in a, in a staff meeting. At that time, we had like 40 people on staff and thousands of people that attended the church, and so somebody was always mad at me. Somebody was always disappointed in me. Somebody always wanted something from me. And I remember this one staff meeting, I just, I broke down and through tears, I said, I don't have any more blood to give. And even if I said, as I said it, I, I, I was trying to draw blood. A little more, more blood. But is that what church is? 3,000 ticks and no dog maybe that's what this world is. 6.5 billion ticks and no dog. So I'll give you a war you won't believe. They drew first blood. They drew first blood. Who drew first blood? And, and where does all the blood come from? What is blood? Deuteronomy twelve twenty three. the blood is the life. And you shall not eat the life with, with the flesh. The blood is the life in the flesh. You know, in the Old Testament, wine is referred to as the blood of the grape, the flesh of, of the grape. Genesis 49, 11, Jacob prophesies that in the last days, Judah will wash his garments in the blood of grapes. How weird is that? We know that the lion of the tribe of Judah tramples the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, blood that is wine and wine that is blood. Leviticus 17:11. for the life is in the blood. And I have given it for you all, to make atonement for you all, for your lives. And, and so the high priest, you remember, would throw the blood on the altar, and then he would throw the blood on the people, but they would never eat the blood, for the life was in the blood. And the life belongs, well, I guess it must belong to God. The blood was the life. So, so, so when you ask that question, what's the meaning of life? God, what is it all about? What's the meaning of life? Well, that's the same as asking, what's the meaning of blood? The blood is the life. And, and what is life? Well, Jesus said, I am the life. You know, I think it's utterly fascinating to take scripture literally. Not mechanically, like the, the owner's manual for your VCR, but literally, uh, according to the literal intent of the author, the, the person that, that, that wrote it. Jesus said, I am the life. And see, I think he meant, I am the life. So any life in you must somehow be Jesus in you. Isn't that wild? So do this. Take your these two fingers and put them up on your carotid artery your you know your carotid artery connects your head to your your heart and the, the rest of your body do you feel something that's good cuz we, we think it's good to feel that in worship that your heart's beating we see that's that's life circulating through your flesh and that's something look at your I mean, my hand's kind of cold, so I can't see it as well, but maybe the back of your, your hand, if you, see, if you see veins, that's life. But check this out, it's, it's not your life. Right? It's not your own life. If you think it's your own life, then you've stolen life. <laughs> For Jesus is the life. And you drew first blood. Remember when when we took Jesus' life on the tree? Well maybe we take his life every moment that we consider his life to be our life. So maybe sin isn't a small thing. Maybe it's like our everything. Our life is stolen life, our our life is sin. Our life is Christ's life taken from a tree. And when we take life, we kill life. So our life is death. Our life is Jesus' death. For his blood no longer circulates in his body. His blood, the life. And what then is the meaning of life? What's the purpose of the blood? What, what does our flesh tell us? What does my body tell me? Well, above all, my body tells me this. Don't bleed! Don't lose that blood. Keep that blood in your body. The meaning of life is not bleeding. Above all, don't lose your blood. Don't lose your life, keep your life in your body, your own body, your flesh. What is the dealio? We are having a blood drive. Creepy, needles, yeah. Well, they need my blood. I have a very rare blood type. I'm AB positive. Really? I'm IB positive be positive they ain't touching me with no needle. I mean, it's just so... Helpful and life-saving? No, it's your blood, it's blood. Your blood's supposed to stay inside the body. That's where it's meant to be. Besides, nice. they stockpile this stuff in a warehouse somewhere. It's all frozen on ice, and they tell everybody there's a shortage. It's not true. Where did you hear that? From a very reliable friend of a friend of a girl whose sister is going out with someone very high up in the government. <laughs> the blood's supposed to stay in your body. That's where it's supposed to be. Well, let's look at our text. This is uh, the sixth sermon on the second sentence of the book of Ephesians, the longest sentence in the Bible. But it's the foundation of your faith and the foundation of everything. Ephesians 1, verses three through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing And so forgiveness of sins is redemption through his blood. Jesus is is our kinsman redeemer. He's the avenger of of blood. He's, He's the man, the eschatos man, the definition of man. But what's he to do when his kinsmen spill each other's blood? And what's he to do when his bride spills his own blood we drew first blood and he's the avenger of blood and he's our kinsman it's for us that the blood is 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 avenged and if jesus is the life and the life is in the blood then all the blood is really his own blood and he does all the bleeding Remember what David wrote in Psalm 51.4 that we looked at last time after, after taking Uriah's blood? He writes against you, O God, against you only have I sinned. Think about that. I think that means David didn't actually spill Uriah's blood. David must have spilled Jesus' blood from Uriah's veins. You know, if you really believe that your life was Christ's life, that your blood was his blood, well, no one could take your blood. I mean, you might feel pain, right? But not shame, uh, not be shamed. I mean, you would never feel sinned against. You would never feel like someone took your blood. you never feel sinned against. And you, you yourself would be like impossible to offend. And now I know you might say, oh, yeah, but I will, then I would be offended on Jesus' behalf. Well, that's a good theory, but the problem with that is that Jesus just seems like impossible to offend. You know, Muslims are uh, pretty easy to offend, it seems like. I mean, they get offended over Muhammad quite a bit. Uh, Jews get offended quite a bit, often at Jesus. And American Christians seem to just be offended all the time, offended. That's offensive. But can you think of a time when, when Jesus got offended? I mean, he got angry, right, on, on others' behalf. He certainly didn't mince words when speaking to whitewashed tombs, but when people sinned against Jesus, how often did he say, you know, I, I am just personally very offended Actually, the whole world is offended. That Jesus would just not get offended. That's called the offense of the gospel. That when the sin of the world was loaded on his back, when his own people nailed him to the tree, when his bride stripped him and drew his blood, he cried out, Father, forgive them, forgive them. They do not know what they do. I'm just saying that if if you actually believe that his life was, was your life, I think you'd be, like, impossible to offend. No, granted, you would be a slave. Remember, he said, I only do what I see my father doing. I mean, granted, you might be the last and the least and the slave of all, servant of all. You might be a slave, but you'd be entirely free from sin. This world would have no dominion over your heart and you would experience joy, his joy. Ephesians uh, 1.6, and can you get, are, are those lights on you guys, the spotlights on? Ephesians 1.6, my eyes are getting old. We have redemption through his blood. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Verse four, chosen in him from the foundation of the world. Redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, chosen him from the foundation of the world. We we drew first blood. We, We sinned in a garden on Mount Calvary. We took his life on the tree. We drew first blood, but only because from the foundation of the world, he gave first blood. So Jesus must be impossible to offend, right? But what's up with this Holy Spirit? I mean, what about that? 'Cause you remember what we read last time? Matthew twelve, thirty-one. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. I mean that is a huge statement, right? Have you ever thought, stopped to think about that? Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, people. But the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks against the Son of Man will be forgiven, that's Jesus, you know. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either, either in this age or the age to come. Wow, I mean, the unforgivable sin, that's what we call it. I wonder, I wonder what it is. I wonder if you've committed it. Well, I'm trying to keep this sermon short, so let's just keep reading. Verse seven. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Everybody's, oh, what's the mystery? He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan For the fullness of time, a plan or an administration, a stewardship. Oikonomia is the word in Greek. It's where we get our word economy. In Christ, as an economy for the fullness of time. Not completion of time, but the fullness of time. As if empty time can be filled or redeemed somehow with blood, making the most of the time. The mystery of his will as a plan, an economy, for the fullness of time to unite all things. uh, Anakephalios. Sastai is the word. You know, I know things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Heaven and earth is a way of emphasizing everything that's anything, all things. Anakephalio is is the verb. Anakephalio it literally means gathered together under one kephale, one head, or even more literally, gathered together under one anakephale, one wounded head, one sacred head now wounded. And I don't know exactly what anakephalio means for like rocks or chickens, or planets, or or asteroids. But for us, it means that we, the church, are literally his bride and his body. Ephesians 1.22, God gave Christ as head, kephale, over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So let's just take the Bible literally, okay? He fills all in all. And we who have hoped in him are members, are members of his body. You know, the members of my body constantly forgive each other. Except for one thing. And that thing is unforgivable. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ, or we who have already hoped in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. So we might live to the praise of his glory in a world that does not live to the praise of his glory, and his glory is grace. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. A seal, you know, is a mark placed upon something, designating that something as Belonging to something or attesting uh, to something, sealed with the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. The Spirit is the guarantee, or, or literally, the down payment on our inheritance. The very presence of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, or as many translated, until it acquires full possession of us, until the kingdom of God fully possesses us. In Ephesians 4.29, Paul writes, Only say gracious things that build up, up the body. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Hebrews the book of Hebrews, in that verse where it talks about, you know, people impossible to restore them again to salvation and all that stuff, it talks about offending the, the Holy Spirit or, or grieving the, the Holy Spirit. And in those scary verses, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Grace. Isn't that amazing? Everybody's so scared of those verses. And the Spirit of Grace. Spirit of grace. Jesus said the Spirit will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine. That's a lot. He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit um, declares to us, testifies to us the grace of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? In other words, what's the sin that will not be forgiven. We know people debate this, uh, and it's kind of almost funny, I I think, in a way, when you see it. People debate what's the sin that won't be forgiven, and Jesus tells us what sin won't be forgiven. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I mean, we pray it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, right? If you're a banker, you, you got to hate that prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our, our debtors. And Jesus said this, the measure you give is the measure you get. The judgment you pronounce is the judgment you receive. So give unforgiveness and you get unforgiveness. How many of you have ever not forgiven someone? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. I know you're afraid to raise your hand, but you should also be afraid of lying in church. (laughs) I mean, did you see that? Holy crap. I mean, maybe we all committed the unforgivable sin. Maybe that's why people don't state the obvious that unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. Well, man, if, if a sin is unforgiven, if a debt is unforgiven, what does that mean? It means we have to pay. If the bank won't forgive you a debt of $10,000, it means you have to pay the $10,000. Or be thrown in prison until you pay every last penny. And Jesus even told a story like that. If God won't forgive you the life of his son, it means we have to pay the life of his son. Ah! But praise God, he forgave the life of his son from the foundation of the world. And by the way, all things with him. Everything is forgiven you. It's his spirit that testifies to forgiveness. So if I blaspheme that spirit, I refuse forgiveness and I don't forgive. I mean, p- perhaps that unforgiveness is, is unforgivable. One must pay for unforgiveness with forgiveness. So in other words, you, you can't wish people to hell and go to heaven. Because the measure you give is the measure you receive. So you wish hell on people and you wish hell on yourself. If you give hell, you'll you'll get hell and you'll remain in hell until you pay for unforgiveness with forgiveness. You'll remain in outer darkness until you surrender to the light, lost until you acknowledge the way, trapped in a lie until you see the truth, dead until you surrender to the life, and Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the light in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Well, praise God, Ephesians 4 9. Jesus descends into hell, the lowest parts of the earth. And so one day every knee will bow and every tongue shall give praise to Jesus Christ, his Lord, to the glory of the Father. And his glory is grace. So I think it's clear unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. Five years ago, my denomination, my church demanded that I publicly confess that there was a group of people who quote, could not be saved. Which means God could not forgive them and would not forgive them and they were not forgiven. Which means I could not forgive them for God would not forgive them. But if I did not forgive them, God would not forgive me. For unforgiveness is the, or or unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. A group of people who could not be saved, which means they could not be forgiven. I could not forgive them for God would not forgive them. Uh, But if I did not forgive them, God would not forgive me for unforgiveness is the unforgivable sin. You see, the sanctuary started as a group of people who did not want to commit the unforgivable sin. A group of people who wanted to testify to the wonder and power of God's grace in Christ Jesus our Lord, exhibited on the cross and revealed through the power of his blood. I believe it's our calling, and I am not ashamed of our calling. Well, my denomination, my church, demanded that I publicly profess faith in unforgiveness. And when I did not, A whole lot of people paid with a whole lot of pain. And I gotta tell you, I have found it rather hard to forgive. (laughs) Maybe you've found it rather hard to forgive. It was around that time that I sat in that, that staff meeting, feeling so wounded feeling so deeply offended. And it was then that I said, I don't have any more blood to give. That was pompous. I don't have any more blood to give. And it was a lie, I don't have any more blood to give, why? Because I never had any blood to give in the first place. I mean, I don't own the blood. I'm a tick, not the dog. It's not my life. It's not my blood. And thinking it is my blood, I refuse to bleed Christ's blood. That's the unforgivable sin. It's death. You see, forgiveness isn't just a theory to be argued. It's a life to be lived. It's actually his life to be lived. It's his blood to be bled. And his blood never runs out. It's eternal. So I had no blood, and yet I had all the blood. But that day, as a member of the body of Christ, speaking to other members of the body of Christ, I refused to bleed. I refused to forgive. You see, the members of my body constantly forgive one another and that's called life. But there's one thing that cannot be forgiven and that's when one member calls the life its own. Uh, That's when one member um, calls the blood its own and refuses to bleed. If, If a member refuses to bleed, if a member refuses to give blood, it can no longer receive blood. So each member must lose its life in order to find life forgive life in order to be given life and if a member seeks to save its own life it dies anakefolio God will unite all things under one head, making peace by the blood of his cross. And already God is uniting us, who who have already hoped in him, in Christ, as as one body under one wounded head, his head. And that means my life is not my own. It's my flesh, my, my pride, that tells me not to bleed. But if I don't give blood, I can't receive blood. If I don't forgive, I can't be forgiven. I'm trapped in death, offended at life. I'm a Pharisee. You know, the Pharisees were offended at Christ's life. And it was two Pharisees that Jesus talked about um, the unforgivable sin. Remember, after they were offended that Jesus would cast a demon out of a, a demoniac. The, the Pharisees crucified Jesus because they could not forgive his forgiveness. I mean, Jesus forgave Romans. Now that's not a problem for us today, but believe me, that was a problem for them, occupied people oppressed by the Romans. Jesus forgave Romans. He forgave tax collectors, he forgave sinners, he forgave harlots, he forgave demoniacs, and he acted like Pharisees needed forgiveness too. Maybe all sin is unforgiveness. All sin is not bleeding. Uh, all sin is not believing I'm forgiven life and so don't give life. Maybe all sin is thinking that my life is, is my own. You know, on the cross, Jesus trampled the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, he trampled grapes. There's blood in the flesh of the grapes. Maybe the blood is like stolen life. So the fruit that's thrown into the wine vat is like confessed sin, sin that's been confessed from us, but surrendered at the cross. The flesh of the fruit is crushed in the press and the the blood flows out and turns into wine. It's grace, it's a river of life and a river of blood that flows from the throne and enthroned upon his cross, Jesus delivers up his spirit saying it is finished. He surrenders his spirit, the spirit of forgiveness, the helper who helps all of us bleed. And that's life. You know, St. Paul wrote, I am foremost of sinners. Well, if it's true, and the Bible seems to be true that he was the foremost of sinners, don't you think he committed the foremost of sins? The unforgivable sin? And it's St. Paul uh, that once, uh, that, that wrote, uh, that, um, well, he wrote this too, he had more confidence in the flesh than anyone. <laughs> Isn't that something? He was a, a premier Pharisee, and yet he wrote, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, the plan for the fullness of time. Anakephalio. All things united under one sacred head, now wounded. And so my meaning in my time is this. Receiving his blood and bleeding his blood. We are His body in this world. My meaning in my time. And check out the meaning of all space and all time is this. Do you remember? Do you remember this when we talked about Flatland? We talked about all space and space and time and our journey through time. Well, the meaning of all space and time is this. It's 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 forgiveness. One day, a river of blood, a river of life will flow out upon this earth and flood all of space and time, all of space and time with mercy, and on that day, if you harbor unforgiveness, if you hate unforgiveness, well, well the, the, it, it will appear as if like bowls of blood are being poured out on the earth, burning blood. And, and they are, it's called judgment day. And yet, on the other hand, if you have learned to love forgiveness and, and bleed forgiveness, you know, on that day, you will find yourself swimming in a river of life, and you are. It's. It's judgment day. You see, the meaning of all things is forgiveness, mercy, the the life of Christ. So forgiveness is the meaning of life, like bleeding is the meaning of blood. Forgiving and being forgiving, circulating his life, is the meaning of life. It is our life. And you see this is truly a revolutionary idea if if you meditate uh, upon it. Listen closely. The reason you exist in this fallen world is to learn to forgive and be forgiven. In other words, to lose your life and find it. And forgiveness is the fullness of time. So at every point in time with every choice in time you're being issued an invitation to forgive or to to be forgiven to give blood or to receive blood to give life or receive life to forgive or be forgiven that is to will god's will in time whenever we refuse to forgive or be forgiven we create empty time meaningless time we lose time But forgiveness is the plan for the fullness of time. So in Christ, we can redeem the time. So, number one, wherever someone has taken life, what you thought was your life, you can choose to give Christ's life. You can choose to redeem the time, change the meaning of time from resentment to, to, to mercy. That is, wherever someone has sinned against you, whenever and wherever someone has drawn blood, you can choose in Christ to bleed Christ's blood. It was always his blood. You just didn't realize it. It was his blood, and he has rivers of blood. You can choose to forgive in Jesus' name and fill your empty time with meaning. Wherever someone draws your blood, you can bleed Christ's blood. And wherever you drew someone else's blood, you can choose to receive Christ's blood. You can be forgiven. You see, it actually was Christ that you sinned against. And Christ forgives you from the foundation of the world. So at the tree where you sinned by taking his life, you can receive life and redeem the time. Then the worst Friday becomes the best Friday. (laughs) Good Friday. You see, forgiveness is the fullness of time and the meaning of time. Don't get stuck in time. That's hell. Well, anyway, whenever you cry out, (laughs) what's it all about? What's the meaning of life? answer forgiveness learning to receive love and learning to give love and you know God is love why did I get married why'd she hurt me why'd I hurt her why do I have to go to church Pastors pray that a lot, you know. <laughs> God, why is it so great sometimes? and Why is it so painful other times? Why do I have friends? Why do they come into my life and leave my life? Why do they curse me and why do they, why do they bless me? Why do kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall? Why do I exist in this world of sorrow and, and joy? Answer, forgiveness. To forgive and to learn to be forgiven to learn to live. Now, if all of that sounds morbid, you still don't understand. It's life. It's just not your own private life. It's a communion of life. It's His life, in Him is life. His body is a communion of life in in this dead world. So within the body, when all the parts are working, bleeding one into another, what is there? Life and incredible joy. It's only at the edge of the body where it encounters death that there's pain. The edge of life, the, uh, the beginning of life is pain, but life itself, life himself, is joy. The church is Christ's body in this world. The new creation in the old creation, an economy, or economia, an economy of grace. The kingdom of God is an economy of grace. And so the life does not trickle down from rich people. The life does not trickle down from powerful governments. It gushes up from the rich who've become poor and from the powerful who've become weak. It flows like a river from a body broken, a slaughtered lamb standing on the throne. The kingdom of God is an economy of grace. And think about this, every great party that you've ever been to is an economy of grace. You ever thought about that bunch of people sitting in a room, it's so boring, and then something happens? What happens is an economy of grace. A good marriage is an economy of grace. A life is an economy of grace. The church is to be an economy of grace. In other words, we have all the gifts and talents and and things we need right here in this room. And what do we need? The spirit of grace. Inspiring an economy of grace. And so the enemy will, will whisper in your ear. He'll whisper, you'll find sanctuary when you save your life never ever bleed and the spirit of grace will whisper the meaning of sanctuary is losing your life and finding your life which is his life the meaning of sanctuary is giving blood and receiving blood and giving blood and 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 receiving blood and giving blood you may remember that Bruce didn't want to give blood. He, he wanted to have grace, but not give grace. He, he didn't want to give blood. He, he wanted to be God, but he didn't know God. And so, you remember the story, God let him be God. God let him be God, but he failed at being God and lost grace, and so he surrenders to God and comes to know God. He actually loses his life, literally loses his life, and and then finds it, and and, and then he chooses, he, he chose love, he chose love. In other words, he learned to bleed. What do you really care about? through your eyes. Now that's a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good. It's good. (laughs) I'm gonna get right on it. (laughs) It Didn't feel very good. (laughs) Got a rhythm. All right, I got a pulse. Bruce? Bruce, welcome back. You're lucky to be alive, son. Someone up there must like you. I hear all that stuff winds up in a warehouse somewhere. Blood drive. It's a bea beautiful day. So come on down here because the life you save could be mine. I myself will have given blood twice this week. For those of you who haven't heard, I'd like to introduce you to the future Mrs. Exclusive, Grace Connolly. How was that? That was great. Yeah. That was really great. Now you still have to go over there. The nurse is waiting. It's not going to hurt. In fact, I think you'll find it quite pleasurable. so the meaning of life is to learn to forgive and be forgiven. The purpose of life is to prepare you for eternal life, the economy of grace. You're being prepared, in other words, for a kingdom and a party and a marriage the marriage supper of the lamb. And so on that night, with this entire creation, betrayed him. The lamb took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat and do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup, saying, this cup, Well, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. You're forgiven. And so you can forgive. In fact, as I was preaching, maybe you were thinking about a person maybe that person was you, you can forgive you. And I'd suggest listen to last week's message because that's what we talked about last week, forgiven. But maybe it was somebody else. You have enough blood to forgive. For all the blood has been forgiven you. And the source of blood is your Creator. So let's redeem the time, okay? Just close your eyes. I want you to think about those people that you need to forgive. Now, probably the spirit of grace is, is pumping some faces into your brain. <laughs> That's the kind of thing the spirit of grace does. There's enough blood. And so just, just say this. You can say this quietly in your heart. And you definitely need to say it before, before Jesus. Say, in the name of Jesus and under the authority of his blood. In fact, why don't you just say that out loud? In the name of Jesus and under the authority of his blood, I forgive. Say, I forgive. Now in your heart, and, and you can do this out later, offer up those people. Offer them up to the Lord. And now say, let it be. Let it be. Let the new creation be. Oh, it kind of hurts at first, doesn't it? But hang in there. It's just the edge of life. Amen. Amen. So forgiven, you can forgive and now that's not bad news that is the very best news I worry that sometimes we come to this table and we think that this is a sad table we sing sad songs and you see it is sad for a moment but for all eternity. It is the greatest party, it's life. You are being prepared for life, eternal life, an eternal kingdom, the economy of absolute grace. And have courage, because there's power in the blood. See, there's forgiveness in the blood. There's life in the blood, because it comes flowing through your veins. In Him, was life, and the life is the light of men. In Jesus' name, let's walk in the light. Let's worship, amen? Dark cup is wine. And by the way, the brush that I painted with was like a clean brush, my wife assured me. So all you germaphobes, it was clean, and the alcohol will kill any diseases in the wine. Uh, The white cup is juice. Um, They're both the love of God poured out for you. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live the gospel. Amen. Be to you, Lord God. Spirit of Jesus, we invite you then to move in this place. Because Holy Spirit, we know that you give, you give gifts, you give talents, you give resources, but not as possessions to keep. They're all gifts that are to be used for building up the body. They're for being given away, and, and they're all worthless unless we have love. That's what Scripture says, right, Spirit of God? That's what Paul wrote. You can have all these things, but they're all worthless if you don't have love. And Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of love. And so we invite you to descend on us and turn us into an economy of grace. Be glorified in this place. Lord Jesus, uh, in, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray it. And thank you, Lord God, that you have included us in your life. What more could you give us? And so, in Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. And so, um, I watched you bow your head and pray about forgiveness, maybe some tears, that kind of thing, and I think you did it. And, uh, then I saw you come up here and take some wine or grape juice, whichever, uh, but it's the blood of Christ. And so you uh, bled, blood, and received blood. You forgave and you were forgiven, forgiven, forgiven. And you see, I think this is, this is good news. I think what this means, this is gospel, okay? What I'm about to say to you is gospel. Ready? You're not a tick. You're part of the dog. And every dyslexic knows dog is a code word for God. And and God is man's best friend, right? He has included you in his body. You are his bride and his body. And that is not bad news. That's the very best news. You are being prepared for the economy of grace. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel and live the gospel.